anyone and everyone. Welcome to Have You Heard About This Case. My name is Sam. And my name is Kelly. I'm bringing you a case today that raises a lot of issues that I think should be talked about more. One of the most important being stalking awareness. I thought this case would be small and short, but it is much more important than that. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2020 murder of Amy Harwick. Before I take you all down the rabbit hole I've been investigating, Sam, what is your question? Well, this is the first episode of December, and I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. what's your favorite winter activity? Oh, man, that's hard because I am not made for winter. I was just thinking about how drafty this window is, but my favorite favorite winter activity would have to be that most street festivals start serving mulled wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have a few here that have really good wine. Yeah, just like, and even if it's that crappy stuff they use every year, like, they just heated it up, I'm like, that's okay, like, I'm 100% happier to be here. <laughs> right, you get your collector cup. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about you? Um, well, I'm also not much of a winter fan. Um, I get cold mm-hmm. far too easily. Mm-hmm. But yes. uh, I, growing up in Wisconsin, one of the biggest things that we would do when I was a kid was go snowmobiling. So I do definitely Ooh. miss that being in the city. And I, w- I would love to get out and hop on a snowmobile again. That sounds so fun. Like, I've never ridden a snowmobile. I've ridden an ATV. No. They're similar. They're, they're definitely similar. Yeah, I've ridden a, an ATV and a jet ski, which I feel like are kind of in the same family. Like, you, you yeah. have, like, you have control still. That's why I feel good about it. I'm like, I still feel like I can, like, steer and... There's just something That's different about riding a snowmobile across a lake in the winter. Yeah, I don't know about that. Oh, it's <laughs> it, it's good. I like we used to drive cars across the lake all the time. Like a snowmobile can handle it. De- like obviously, depending on the thickness of the ice, but all of that right, is tested yeah. before you can you can get out there. There's even a um, a road in northern Wisconsin that they make across the lake and do they just do it it's just for winter they're like this road opens up oh my god yeah like this road opens when the lake freezes yeah like the dnr comes in and like tests the depths and how much weight the ice can handle but yeah there's definitely a road (laughs) i think there's probably quite a few of them but i know of one in particular i'm thinking of where they, they actually have a full-on road to cut across through town. My God. I mean, that is, that must be convenient, you know? It is, because it's a big ways. lake, and it's really awkwardly shaped. So it's like, if you need to drive around the lake, it's adding another 20-plus minutes to your drive, especially in the winter when you're driving a little slower. I was going to say 20, 25. Yeah, extra minutes. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have been... 
like I said in the intro, and I just said to Sam off air, I thought that this case was going to be like a shorter one, but it just has some stuff in it that we all want to talk about. Yeah, I know stalking is like a, a hot topic for us because we, we both have very strong feelings on laws and how yeah. there's not as much protection as what we would like to see for stalking victims or stalking survivors. Correct. And I would talk more about the legislature and the acts where this crime happened and that sort of thing. But I already had 13 pages of notes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to give it a real go on our next one. Because I've done a couple now that I've just been like, this is egregious. Yeah, some of these cases are just very difficult to do in a fairly short period of time. Like, you and I can sit here and probably do, like, a five-hour episode in some of our cases. Yeah. 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 Which I hope I won't do. But it since we're talking about it, right up top, I have to give the ultimate trigger warning for domestic violence and for stalking. This episode includes our victim's specific injuries suffered from her partner. If you've experienced those, please know to protect yourself, especially when we get to the end. We'll be providing the appropriate hotlines for victims of these crimes to contact in our show notes. Like I said, today we'll be discussing Amy Harwick's senseless murder. Amy Harwick was born in Sellersville, Pennsylvania. Not much is mentioned about her biological parents as Amy was adopted as a child. Okay. And born in middle America in the small Pennsylvania town, in one of Harwick's videos to a modeling agency, she said, quote, it was always just a challenge for me to figure out where I belonged. And it took a really long time for me to figure out who I was as a person. Yeah, I feel like that has to be difficult being adopted and going through some of those challenges that a lot of other people just can't relate to and just right. having that, like knowing that you, you have people who care about you, your adoptive parents, but always wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually there was mention in one article that she did spend some time in foster care as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you know how old she was? When she was in foster care? Mm-hmm. I do not. I, it said she was adopted as a baby. So maybe it was very early on. Yeah, I'm guessing it would be quite early on because it did say she was adopted as a baby. But she's struggling in this kind of small town where the vibe isn't really for her. And Amy was always said to have been drawn to a, quote, offbeat crowd. Sounds like you and me. Yeah. Her friend Sharon Little recalled, quote, we would go to the bathroom and do our makeup together and skip class, which 10 out of 10. (laughs) In fact, Little and Harwick had met in the same bathroom they would goof off in in the 10th grade. 
Little said she was sobbing after hearing a close friend had died when someone she didn't know offered her a hug. Through tears, Little said, quote, she saw me crying and just held me. And I think it's important here just to recognize that from that young, Amy was a good person. Yeah, you're what, 16 in the 10th grade Mm. or so? Well, they they met earlier because they would, you know, do their makeup and skip class and they were fully friends by the time... They would goof off in the bathroom in 10th grade. So this is the first time they're meeting. Yeah. That's just such a a sweet thing to be able to recognize that somebody is in distress and just just needs a hug. Yeah. Yeah. A friendly face. And you're there. And this is... uh, This hurts me because... Her friends all recollected that part of what made Amy interesting were her own colorful interests. Gary Stanley said, quote, taxidermy and things like that. Gut punch for me. I was, I was just thinking, like, I personally don't have taxidermy, but I know that you do. And I know the art form that taxidermy can be. And having that interest at a young age, especially, like, I grew up in a place where Everyone has numerous animals on their walls. And yeah, how important uh, that is. Oh, I was just like, oh, that's such a gut punch. We would have been friends. And it was said that Amy seemed to have a morbid fascination with mortality. And I think that's a really good way to sum it up because I share that interest. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of us do. Part of my collection is the wax death mask of a man from the 1700s. Yeah, I want to start a collection at some point because I, I find that all so interesting as well and such a part of history. Very interesting. And I think it's normal to be very fascinated with mortality. And given, given that we are alive now, we are interested in death because that's kind of what mortality is. Well, I think it's also become a lot more acceptable to have that interest nowadays. I agree, yes. And, like, podcast is a big part of that. That's why you and I are, are here talking about it, is because mm-hmm. we feel comfortable enough to discuss our interests, even though they're, they're sad and dark a lot of the time. Right. Right. Robert Koshland, who is one of her best friends throughout this whole thing, said, quote, she was obsessed with death. And in fact, at one point, had she, she had bought her own coffin. She also had a zest for life and for living. You know, and I think that's part of the interest in mortality. That it yeah, it gives Absolutely. you a, a zest for being alive. Well, I, that's a big reason I think we're even just talking about this. Because we, we up top, immediately, you said this is a stalking case. Well, a huge reason we're talking about it is because these very tragic mm-hmm. things happened. And we talk about how to avoid mm-hmm. situations like this in the future. How to give resources to help people and learn from them and in turn, hopefully the bigger picture is to change legislature and 
see improvements made so that this doesn't happen again. And I think that goes in hand in hand with being mm-hmm. interested in death, but having that zest for the living yeah. because we don't want people to be in these situations. We don't no. want people to be hurt. Yeah. Wait till you hear some of the details. Yeah, I don't know this case at all. I'm very interested to hear the details. In 2001, Amy had settled in L.A., but needed to make money to make her career goals a reality. Everyone who knew her said she was hustling to get the money for her degrees. She took gigs all around town, even doing a fire-eating act. Isn't that cool? (laughs) She's so cool. She's so cool. cool. Amy decided she would complete her degree, and to do so, she worked as both a dancer. It did not say what kind of dancing, and I don't want to assume, though it was referred to as go-go dancing by her famous one-time fiancé. Okay. Yeah, it could be such a different variety of Exactly, of yeah. And that's not my place to presume. But it was, quote, go-go dancing by one of the people involved here. And she also, not only was she a dancer, she was a Playboy model. Okay. Which is very highly coveted for a lot of people. I was going to say, so work, Amy. And she was successful despite so many people's assumptions about dancers or Playboy models and earned her psychology degree studying at California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California. Good for her. Yeah, so Amy had moved full-time far from home across the country to make her dreams happen. And she earned a Master of Arts degree from Pepperdine University in clinical psychology. She rounded it out by earning a PhD from a non-accredited university, the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Oh, interesting. Yes, interesting, yes. All this preparation would lead Amy to her future career as she became a licensed marriage and family therapist. She became well-known for her work in West Hollywood, and she appeared on podcasts, TV, and her YouTube channel to discuss her work which specialized in family and sex counseling. Amy even authored her own book, The New Sex Bible for Women, The Complete Guide to Sexual Self-Awareness and Intimacy, which hit shelves in 2014. I think I actually might know this case. Was there an episode on ID about this? Could have been so. Could have been so. Oh, I don't know if it... I mean, this one's all just about Amy. There's there, there's no more mention of Playboy. Well, the, the show, the Playboy Murders, is like talking about people who have worked with Playboy before, oh. whether it was like while they were working with them, they were murdered, or they just had worked with them in the past. And I, the, the famous fiancé huh. is where I think I know exactly who this is. Yeah, you might. You might, because... I'm not going to say it yet, because I could be wrong. But I think I know exactly. Like I said, she's very visible and very 
you know, sort of out there for her field. So she appeared in a lot of places. And if there were a show that were just about murders that involve Playboy, I imagine this one might be an episode. Because it is interesting. It, it was a very interesting episode, and I don't remember all of the details. So there's, there's a lot that I, I'm sure I don't know that you're going to talk about. Maybe. I've never seen the show. It's good. I recommend it. It's really interesting. It does sound interesting. Makes me wish I would have watched it to maybe get more details. But I, let me tell you, have been down that rabbit hole all day and I have some details. And since we've just sort of made the revelation that Amy is a sex therapist, here I'd like to mention that some of us may be experiencing cognitive dissonance or recoiling from Amy's career choices, but I wanted to cover it because sex work is work. Absolutely. I understand that that might be troubling to you, but Amy was working hard to help create intimacy in couples. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that, and especially given her education and how she's using it in this field it's unique and it's something that can be incredibly beneficial to couples right and if it's it's incredibly unique and if it's exactly what you need you know you can't get much better than that yeah there's nothing wrong with that I also caution you as thinking of Amy as some sort of party girl who is out and about and walking the streets. And even if she was, sex work is real work. And if you don't like that or don't agree, feel free to hit me with a DM and I can explain more of my thoughts. Or you can yell at me uh, to take out your holiday frustrations. But we can all agree that at this point, Amy was a licensed therapist and working on the sex lives with those in West Hollywood. It is a very valid career, and she's bringing home the paycheck that she needs. Exactly. And West Hollywood, like, that is pretty prominent. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. And Amy... She still had good things to do, though. I'm sure if you've listened at this point, you know that Amy is tragically our victim in today's case. At the time of her death, Amy had partnered with Pineapple Support, which is an organization of sex work positive mental health professionals that had been founded in late 2017 after an alarming trend of an adult industry suicides. I didn't know that. Um, there was a, a group like that, and I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Because here again, I have to point out that Amy was working for the betterment of those around here and those in the industry. And you might not like it or agree with it, but Amy believed in it. And I also believe in it. Me too. I think it's hard enough to find mental health care and ch- the challenges of finding it When you have a profession you think will make a therapist disapprove of you, it's easier to shut down and turn your problems inward. Yeah, I think that the stigma around seeking help for mental health is changing. 
And I think this is a, another level of it. This is, it, it's hard to go to somebody with your intimacy, but mm-hmm. there are people there to help. And that right. seems like that's all she wants to do is just help people. Exactly. And help those who may not have a voice in the system may feel like the system has thrown them away or is judging them. She is wanting to help those people. And I think that's so... I'm glad that she was so unique of character to bring her to this kind of organization. Absolutely. And like I said, it, it it can lead to turning your problems inward if you don't sometimes seek help. And again, I think we can all agree that that is never a good step and that all members of our community should be able to seek out a therapist. And Amy was becoming that person. In A Twist of Fate, Amy and the comedian, host, and fellow Clevelander, Drew Carey, Met at a party in the summer of 2017. This is definitely the case that uh, mm-hmm. is in that episode. Which, it's, it might be a good thing that you didn't watch it. Because that I think, I try to avoid watching too much before mm. I type up my case. To not mm. have that narrative influence my research. Um, but this yeah. is definitely the same same case I'm thinking of. And upon meeting, Carrie took a photo of them together and posted it to Instagram with the caption, quote, the face of a lottery winner, L. I think he's referring to himself being on the left as when Harwick and Carrie met, sparks flew between them. And I will say I've seen her because I've watched that that episode. She's absolutely gorgeous. She is beautiful and i have some images for social media that i can't wait to share because she just is gorgeous and i it makes sense because within a year of being a couple drew carey proposed to amy howrick and she accepted the couple was not to be though and the next year 2018 harwick and carey called off their engagement both sides of the couple said the split between them was amicable. Carrie did not hold back after Harwick's untimely death, telling NBC Harwick was, quote, a positive force in the world and an unapologetic champion of women. I love that description. Yes, I agree with Carrie because it sounds like Amy just wanted to help all folks. And one of them was the most underrepresented groups of people who happen to be sex workers and she still raised them up and offered them help just because that's what she did. And she wanted to help fellow most often women. However, it also wouldn't be the end of Harwick and Carrie's close relationship. Even though the couple had fallen out of touch, Carrie said he was thrilled to receive a message from her on the night before Valentine's day, 2020. As I'll reveal, probably hours before this crime was committed. When Amy reached out with a text, it said, quote, I would love to get together with you and talk. To which Carrie replied, quote, yeah, I would love to do that. I love you. I know. 
she is so lovable. Everyone loves her. However, another reason for their breakup came to light. Carrie's star power was starting to rub off on Amy, who was said to have felt it as unwanted attention. She feared for her reputation as a psychologist, as something about her would inevitably make it to the press, and then the comment section would light up. Negative, anonymous comments appeared on websites that reviewed doctors. So that's not great. Right. Amy, and Amy was sure there was one man who could do this. A jealous ex-boyfriend named Gareth Pursehouse. Amy and Pursehouse had gone their separate ways for many, many years at this point. But she had good reason to believe that he was still stalking her. Additionally, they'd only seen each other for a few months. Dated, rather. Like, they didn't, it wasn't, they weren't together years. They didn't have children together. Yeah, and sometimes that's that's even more scary. When you don't mm-hmm. truly know somebody, it takes a long time to properly know somebody and a few months mm-hmm. it's just not enough time for that and so you just don't know what they're going to do mm-hmm. after the breakup or anything like that yeah and on january 16 2020 it was the first time they had crossed paths in eight years oh wow yeah she tried to stay calm as it was a work event but she told Robert Koshland that when Gareth saw her, quote, he went ballistic. Koshland said, quote, he was yelling in her face, saying, you've ruined my life. And reciting text messages she sent him in 2012. And like, you know, creating a giant scene. There's 100 people in the room and he's screaming. He's working the event. He's a big guy, and he's screaming at her, sobbing. She falls to the ground in the fetal position. I can't even imagine. Oh, my God. Just somebody just reciting texts to you from 2012, I would be like, I don't know who that's from or what you're talking about right now because it's 2020. Yeah. And in view of security after the show, Amy spent 45 minutes talking to Persas alone, which good on her because I would have introduced his nuts to his esophagus. I I would not have given him any time personally. Um, A big Mm -mm. part of that's probably because of of what we do is is we we Mm. hear cases like this. Um, Mm. But I, I I, I can, I understand why she fell to the ground, sobbing in the fetal position. I I get that. And Me I can't too. imagine being in that situation. I mean, somebody's just screaming in your face. You ruined my life and you're at a work event? Like, what? Well, and it's been eight years. You have, yeah. especially given her career and her education, she has to understand that there's mental instability in him if he's holding on to this that long and that's terrifying yes yes and maybe she didn't 
no, she did say she felt like he was tracking her, and it's so bizarre that he just lets it. It seems like in a lot of these cases we cover with stalking, it's a lot like serial killing, where there's, like, stalking, and then there's a cool-off period, and then there's stalking, and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. And Robert Koshlin, her friend, said, quote, she told me she went into therapist mode and tell him, like, he needs to, like, get on with his life, but in a non-confrontational, as best possible way. She felt like she had talked him down, but she was unnerved by the whole thing. After that, she was like, I want to share my phone location with you. If anything ever happens to me, it's him. I'm glad she did that. It's wild that women still have to, still have to tell their friends and family their exact location and who their murderer might be. Yeah. I share my location with my family. A big part of that is, is my dad once lost his cell phone for like three months and we couldn't find it. But, um, it, yeah, no, I, I feel comfortable sharing it with them because you just, you never know. And that could be a key to evidence. And yeah, it's just wild to me that so many people have to, I've heard in so many cases, women just telling their family members, like, if something happens, it's them. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a, a Dateline podcast on my way home from work today, and that exact thing happened. It's insane that we have to be prophetic of our own murders to get it out there. I Wild. And... Grace Stanley, who she's another friend, she's very close to her, she said, quote, she wanted to up the security in her house. She wanted pepper spray. She was taking the steps of somebody who was scared. End quote. Yeah, that's just, it's hard to, like, I understand it. I get every single step that she's taking here. But it's also hard to think about, like, she was in this state. And this is yes. what she was thinking about probably all day, every day. Oh my God. It must have killed her to be in that state of constant fear. Two weeks after the run in with Gareth, Amy called her parents with an unexpected request. Robert Koshlin recounted, quote, She told them that if I die, I want to have an open casket funeral and I want an elaborate headstone, like very explicit wishes. I can't imagine hearing that as a family member either. Yeah. A parent. Yeah. Like, it's insane. And it's crazy how fast this crime unfolds. Like, it's crazy. But there's so many facets to it that need to be talked about. Because, so hours before the crime, crime happens on February 15th. So or the day before, but only hours before. It's not yet that long, which is so scary. And her, she got together with a friend, Cleopatra Slough, who said the day started peacefully with a hike at sunrise. Cleopatra said, quote, I got to her house. 
She invited me in because she still hadn't gotten ready yet. We went up to her bedroom, which was very beautiful. It had this nice balcony, all this natural light, and she was frantically getting ready at the last minute. She grabbed this little red cardigan sweater and said, It's Valentine's Day. I'm going to throw this on. So, mere hours before she would be murdered, Amy was said to be fine and enjoying life. She was a tour guide of the Hollywood Hills, and as they wound their way around the hills and streets, Cleopatra said, quote, she was pointing out all these different landmarks she liked, telling me a different history about the neighborhood. No. Like, I'm the type of person, like, I love that stuff. And so I would have mm. just loved having that sort of drive around with her. Right. It, just to know, it, it. this one hurts my heart. The two friends stopped at a local cafe, and Cleopatra said, quote, she talked about how happy she was, how she felt really accomplished and happy with where she was in life, very much, like, at peace, end quote. Yeah, as, as much as that does just kind of break your heart, I'm also really glad that she felt that way in that moment. She also said that Amy didn't seem worried about anything that day. When Cleopatra was prompted about Amy's evening plans, she said, quote, they were all going to a burlesque show, and she was really excited to get dressed up and go to that. Oh, that sounds like fun. I love a burlesque show, and I know one performer of the art form. I was so hypnotized by the show she put on. I signed up for burlesque classes. And it is the farthest thing from easy. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it is so hard. And it just kills me to know that she was excited for a night out with friends. Meanwhile, who's to say that the prime suspect hadn't already been, quote, laying in wait? You'll see the charges coming up that some people thought just that. And now this is important for investigative reasons. Cleopatra was then asked what Amy was wearing that night. Cleopatra responded, quote, she was wearing her rosary necklace, her leather jacket, her purse, boots, and a velvet dress. Ooh, sounds like a front outfit. Right? So fierce, so fly. If you go to a burlesque show, dress up. Right? Amy's friend, who goes by the name Miss Tosh, said the burlesque show started around 7 p.m. Miss Tosh said, quote, they brought a little Kodak camera and taking all these film photos together. And I could see them even when I was on stage, just like cheering and standing the best time, which is true. The best times are at a burlesque show where Hooten and Halloran is encouraged and you get to see an original idea and consummate performers doing the best dance work and also reading the crowd to tease them. Also, tip them. That's all. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, this sounds like so much fun. Yes, tip, tip, tip. I can't recommend it enough, and it breaks my heart that poor Amy was having such a good night. Around the same time, while the girls were having fun at the burlesque show, Amy's roommate, Michael Herman, was asleep in his bedroom on the first floor of the apartment building. 
He told authorities around this time he thought he heard what sounded like a smashing plate. He thought nothing of it as he didn't know the girls were at the burlesque show and no one was home. So he assumed it to be Amy and went back to sleep. And everyone was having a rollicking good time back at the burlesque show at the Globe Theater. But Amy found some time to catch up with Miss Tosh in the lobby after the show around 9 p.m. She asked Amy to join them at the after party. Amy begged off the after party, saying that she had plans to have tea with her friends. Miss Tosh says, quote, that was my last moment with her. It was just, you know, I love you. I'll see you soon. End quote. Amy and her friends then left the Globe Theater and, and spent time at the Nomad which is an area in New York City where there are several bars and restaurants and, like, general nightlife. And they were there until 12.18 a.m. What time did um, the roommate hear what he sounded like a plate breaking? During the time the girls were at the burlesque show. So the show started at 7 p.m., I would guess between 6.30 and 9 when she finishes talking to Mrs. Tosh. Okay, so it's in the time period where, like, she clearly would have been gone. She she was not at home, but her roommate didn't know that they went to the burlesque show. So he thought she was home. He, her roommate thought she was home that night. He didn't know she was going out to a burlesque show. So the smashing of the glass sound happened during the time that Amy was not at her apartment. Okay. I just wasn't sure if it was like super early, like she had just left or uh, closer to like 9 p.m. a little after when she would have been leaving. Yeah, and the thing is, she doesn't even go straight home. She goes to this nomad area until 12.18. Yeah, so she she's out for a while. Exactly, yeah, but he just has no idea. He's asleep because, again, it's 12.18 a.m. You know, I mean, maybe it a reason to be asleep. Amy pulled into her driveway at 1 a.m. on February 15th. She then texted her friend Sarah Rollins to send pictures from the night out at Nomad saying, quote, send me pics on the green couch. That text was timestamped at 1.02 a.m. Police believe that as soon as Amy climbed the stairs to her third floor bedroom, she was viciously attacked. They theorized that the perpetrator had been waiting in Amy's apartment for four hours. Oh, wow. Okay, so that was pretty close to, like, the 7 o'clock mm-hmm. at that point, right? Yeah, 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Downstairs, Michael Herman, her roommate, was jolted out of sleep when he heard Amy's screams. Herman later testified that he heard the sound of bodies falling to the floor and more screams that seemed muffled as though someone had putting someone had been putting a hand over her mouth. And that that's a terrifying thing to wake up to. Oh, God, can you imagine? That's like, so scary. Actually, this just happened 
kind of to me the other day, not this extreme in any way. And I, I haven't even told you this yet. So it was just like terrifying and crazy. I woke up Sunday morning to somebody screaming for help. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, like it was, it was, like it, it was a kind, it was odd. They, they weren't like screaming. Like it sounded like they were in distress. Um, but yeah. someone very loudly yelling out for help. And by the time I like jumped out of bed and got to my window, I saw the neighbors all out on their decks and things. Mm. And I could hear oh. them calling 911. Um, okay. So I ended up not calling myself, but right. nothing happened. I, I heard the person, oh they stopped. They, I could hear them yelling for help again. And they sounded quite a bit farther away. Um, I heard some cops arrive, but like there was no like final outcome that I could figure out right. of what was happening. There, there were ambulances arriving or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But like, not to any way, shape, or form this extreme. But that was a terrifying oh. moment. I can only imagine. That's what... so scary. Yeah. That's so scary. Like, it's just, like, the type of thing, the exact type of thing you don't want upon waking. Yeah, it was, like, 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and I had the window cracked open and woke up to someone yelling for help. God. And even worse is that Herman was unable to find his phone to call anyone. But he was determined and a good friend. First, he tried yelling to scare the assailant away. And when that didn't work, he ran for help, but he got trapped inside the building's courtyard. Undeterred, Herman scaled a tall metal fence, which cut his arm, but he knew his friend was in serious danger. And he still made it to the neighbors, knocking repeatedly Though no one came to the door. Oh, no. Exactly. It was now 1.08 a.m., just six minutes after Amy had arrived home, and her roommate was frantic. After having no luck at the first house, he dashed across the street, and again, no one came to the door for him. I, I kind of get it, but at the same time, that like I'm not sure if I'd want to be answering the door. But yeah. I would certainly be calling the police if someone was pounding on my door. If someone was pounding on the door and I imagine he was yelling, like, call the police, call the police. Like, I I'd have no I hesitation. Would, I would call. No hesitation. Yeah, because either way, there's somebody you don't know banging on your door. So I, I've called the police on the neighbors before when I heard yells for help. I've, I've certainly yeah. done it. Yeah. And so across the street, they won't answer for him either. Finally, he sees somebody walking up the street who happens to have a phone. Together, they called for help, and it was now 1.14 a.m. Like, it doesn't sound like a lot of time, but a lot can happen in those few minutes. Correct. On February 15, 2020, Amy Hardwick was found under the balcony of her home in Los Angeles. She was transported to the hospital, but died there. She was just 38 years old. It was an estimated 20 feet fall from her bedroom to the ground. 
After she was taken to Cedar sinai Medical Center, she succumbed to her injuries at 3.26 a.m. February 15th, 2020. The 911 call that summoned police uh, was made by her roommate, Michael Herman, and investigators immediately questioned him and found him to be traumatized. After they began interviewing neighbors, asking them to look at surveillance footage because they did not believe Amy had just fallen, and if she did, they wanted to see proof. For some, it just appeared that Harwick had fallen from her third-story apartment balcony outside her bedroom and then died as a result. However, as the LAPD began their investigation, they found Amy had been strangled and not fallen but was pushed from the third floor after a fight. Also, as investigators arrived on the scene, they immediately noted that Amy had severe injuries and deep marks on her neck, which they took to mean she was strangled before she fell. What's not clear from those facts is if she was manually strangled or the criminal used a ligature. I can't decide which is worse. Truly. Yeah, I'd be interested what they mean by deep marks, specifically. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And and with them also pairing that with the bruising, I'm like, okay, well, bruising and deep marks could come from manual, but if deep marks, you mean deep marks, like, ligature, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which is worse. Yeah, I think either way are both hmm. absolutely awful. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also it, that's the potential of being the difference of face-to-face versus, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. her back to them. Ambushing. Ambushing them. Yeah. With ligature. They also determined that Amy had been thrown from the balcony in the early morning hours of February 15th. They estimated that she had clung to life until authorities arrived, but her injuries were too much for her body to, to too much for her body to sustain. After interviewing Michael Herman and hearing about the plate smashing sound, investigators determined that it was not at all Amy, but something much more sinister. An intruder breaking the glass of the French door to her home. So Michael Herman their roommates in mm-hmm. it's, it's a single family home or is it's an apartment building you said right yes so it's like a multi-level apartment yeah what i'm guessing is it's similar to like a chicago through flat okay so they might not have been actually like roommates roommates but right exactly and knew each other well and were the, friends the coverage implied or either that situation or they were staying in one of those houses that has like a wing with like a separate door. Okay. Cause I do know some apartments have like multiple floors, even though it's considered an apartment. Um, yeah. it, it, I don't think it necessarily matters in this instance. I, I think either way they were, they were friends. They knew each other. They lived floors apart from each other. Just interesting. I like hearing apartment floor plants. Yeah. Yeah, close enough that he could hear all of this. So Mm -hmm. I think it could be closer to, like, 
when someone converts a single family home and they wall off the stairwell and make that the new entry to like the top floor, you know, because Michael Herman's door was not smashed. And the police found that the sound he probably heard was breaking of the glass of the French door to Amy's home. Right. So it implies to me that they did not share a door to this residence. Okay, that's kind of what I was thinking, just being first floor versus third floor. But the wording room mm-hmm. also kind of throws me off, which I'm assuming that was all through like the, the recording and everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's listed everywhere as her roommate, but it's not listed precisely the layout. Okay, I, I don't think it necessarily matters, just curiosity. Yeah, yeah. When authorities entered Amy's apartment, it was immediately clear that were that there were signs of violent struggle. There was blood on a bedroom door, and it makes me shiver to say this, but there was a trail of rosary beads that she'd been wearing earlier that went from her TV room through her bedroom and onto the balcony. Oh wow! Isn't that oh god? And I, I will I will say this as well, whether this happened during the struggle or if she broke her necklace or her ro- her rosary. Honestly, that's something that's incredibly smart if she chose to break it herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to show and to it, show it seems the path. to me that she yeah. could she could have thought of that. It's possible. It's possible. I know you and I have talked about different things. Right, where you've said if something happens to you, you're going to do one very specific thing that I know about. Mm-hmm. And I, yes. I won't say it because it's it's yes. obviously meant for the people around you, so we have signs. But uh-huh. um, that's kind of what I'm thinking of with this. You're right. That could very potentially be so because violent struggle. Mm-hmm. Like maybe she has time to snap off part of her rosary in the TV room where it started, snap up part of her rosary in the bedroom where he also attacked her, snap off a piece of that rosary where he was strangling her in the balcony. Or even just before the, the whole situation turned into the violent struggle, if I'm pretty sure you're getting to the fact that it was her ex-boyfriend who did all of this because he was he was clearly her stalker at this point and she was very yeah. concerned. But mm-hmm. even just seeing him grabbing it and breaking it in that moment before the struggle fully ensues would be a very smart move uh-huh. on her part. Yeah. And to me, everything yeah. that you have said sounds like she he could have definitely thought of that in that moment because of her... Yeah preparations and her fears associated with him yeah exactly as so as as soon as he's at her door or it i mean i don't know because the police have estimated that she was attacked so quickly once she got to her apartment that i'm like would she have had time it's absolutely possible yeah i just did to chills chills me yeah it definitely does 
The police discovered something no one expected. They recovered a syringe filled with liquid. Amy was known to not drink or do drugs, so the syringe was odd. If it was left by Amy's attacker, why would they do that? And we'll get to that. We'll circle back. But we've found an odd syringe full of liquid. We don't know yet what it is. Interesting. Right? Authorities immediately homed in on a suspect. <laughs> Mine as well, as you can tell. Ex-boyfriend Gareth Pursehouse, who's 45. It feels really important to mention here. Amy had filed two restraining orders on Pursehouse. Oh. Count them. One, two, guys. Two restraining orders. And I know my episodes lately have involved a lot about the crime of stalking, but this case was just too egregious to pass up. And, and stalking is a, is a real issue that we don't have answers to right now. And I can tell you that both the restraining orders were granted. She was given both of them. Wow. And it, it can be hard to get a restraining order. It can be very hard to get a restraining order. It can be very hard and to get two against the same person. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming one had to like lapse whether it was like a timing thing or she chose to remove it. Then she had one reinstated, I'm assuming. Right. Right. Or they had to go back to the editing table and say, okay, he can't even be 20 feet around you. He needs to be 100 feet away from you. Like, it. who knows? But either way, both were granted. And in the police reports and two restraining orders that 48 hours dug up, Amy, like I said, was granted those. And in April 2011, Amy wrote to the court that, quote, I'll get ready, guys. Quote, Gareth Pursehouse forced me to the ground, covered my mouth to prevent my yelling, and kicked me. In mid-May, there were multiple arguments in which Gareth Pursehouse choked me, suffocated me, pushed me against walls, kicked me, dropped me to the ground with full force, restrained me, slammed my head into the ground, and punched me with a closed fist. Wow. End quote. So, you said that this was in April, and she, in this quote, it's referring to mid-May. Was this almost a year previous? Could perhaps. I like it, it absolutely could be. I'm just like, is this was this happening in 2010? Two years after their breakup, and this was another ten years after? With some inference from what we hear from the friends later on, I think it could have been, which makes me really sad. Yeah, that's just, that's so many years of fear like, and probably like in all honesty hatred towards him if, if he's yeah. doing these things to her she she has no good feelings towards him right makes me very sad for her because this is like a list of each is worse than the last like i mean everyone we need to do something for these innocent victims. Listen 
to all she had to go through. And the only thing she could do, she did. She got restraining orders. And he still murdered her. This is this is assault. Like, this should be charges filed more than a restraining mm-hmm. order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what it makes me think is they there were separate... It, I, in her quote, she says there were multiple arguments. So I, I don't know if they happened all at once. And she just... I don't know if, like, two things happened in one argument. And she was like, it's safe to talk to him again. And then it escalated. I'm not sure. Yeah, and one thing that you see in a lot of these sorts of cases, kind of just as you're exactly saying, is... And you kind of alluded to this before as well, where it's they come in in waves and mm-hmm. he could have had these absolutely horrific, terrible moments, but then flipped to be similar to the person that she cared about when they were dating for that short period mm-hmm. of time. And that could have let her guard down. And these people are good at that. Listen to this. Speaking of... Koshland reported, quote, they would get in yelling fights, and one time she threw a pillow at him, and he hit her and bashed her head against the floor. He added, quote, and then immediately he would make up and be all like, I'm really sorry, and I love you, and all this kind of stuff. Which is called love bombing. And according to psychology today, love bombing is an attempt to influence another person with over the top displays of attention and affection. This kind of behavior is considered a form of emotional abuse. It's manipulation and it's calculated. It is. Correct. Especially after being physically abusive towards someone. Mm hmm. And like, I'd like to point out the difference here of throwing a pillow and then mm-hmm. his reaction. Like, I don't agree with throwing a pillow. I'm personally the type of person where it's just like, I want no physical potential harm. Like a pillow is not really going to harm somebody, but mm-hmm. it, it, exactly. it, is, it is an act of aggression, even though it's, mm-hmm. it is very minor. That's just personally my view. Um, I, I, yeah, also, I just I can't say that she did anything wrong by throwing a pillow. I think if, if you're in that situation, that's the safest way to do anything and show your emotion. Um, yeah. So I, I don't want to say there's anything wrong with that. There's absolutely something wrong with the way he reacted. Yes, absolutely. Grace Stanley, a close friend, said that Amy had introduced her to Purse House back in 2008 at a photo shoot. At this time, Amy was still using a modeling name going by Amy Nicole. Stanley said that Purse House seemed quite taken with her and always seemed to be photographing her. Grace Stanley said, quote, I honestly think she was looking for the nice guy, the safe guy. The guy who wasn't going to break her heart or cheat on her. When there's somebody who is that into you, you don't think that they're going to hurt you. End quote. Yeah, that's part of the, the manipulation. Mm-hmm. And isn't that so... It's just... I feel so sad for Amy. Because she's just looking for a partner. 
And though this is still her as a model, she hasn't like done her degrees yet. At some point, she must have been doing sexual therapy for people and thinking, why can't I find a guy who won't do this to me? And then he turns around and does it to you in the most horrific fashion. Yeah, and even just, like, at this point, you, you, she's young in, in 2008. Like, she, she's, mm-hmm. what, in her 20s at this point? And Probably, to me, yeah, it yeah. also seems like if she only was in a relationship with him for a few months, she probably realized that this is this is not what she wants in a partner mm-hmm. and yes. made the decision to leave, which is the right. correct decision. Like, that's that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But like, and also like going back to all of the love bombing and, and how you kind of broke that down. I know you're going to put resources at the end of this. Mm -hmm. And I want to say to anyone who feels like they have any sort of connection to how they're treated, to how Mm -hmm. he treated her, make those phone calls. It's free hotlines. Yeah. And minimally what will happen is you make this phone call, you break down what's happening to you and how you feel about it. And they either give you advice on how to walk away or they give you additional resources to help you walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Grace Stanley also said that she saw no outward signs of trouble in the beginning of the relationship. But as the situation unfolded, things seemed odd. She said, quote, I never saw her and him together while they were dating and I kind of wonder if he was kind of keeping her away from her friends. And That's unfortunately another incredibly common thing when it comes to these sorts of situations and abusive relationships. Yeah. Yeah. However, the domestic abuse became so horrific that her own friends started documenting her injuries. Robert Koshlin said that Amy may have stayed in the relationship trying to make it work. More specifically, quote, I think a relationship breaking up would feel like a loss. And she was very much about maintaining things that she had, even if they weren't good. End quote. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's such a common mindset as well. And we, we I know you and I have said this. And tons of other podcasts, tons of other documentaries and things have said this, that breaking up is typically the most dangerous time in a relationship like this. Mm-hmm. And to me, this statement is kind of reflecting that because she's, yeah. I'm sure she's had great moments with him. That's why they were in a relationship to begin with. And you want to hold on to that part of it. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm sure she probably knew in the back of her head that walking away is going to be hard, not just yeah. because she's going to lose those good moments, but because of what he could do as well. Right. This particular person. And I understand that it's, it would feel like a loss. Like when you're like, I've already lost 
a ton of things in my life. You know, who knows what else she had lost. Well, and even just going back to the fact that she was adopted, like that was, yeah, that could easily be a loss of her biological parents. Like, right. Yeah. Right. So she's lost a lot. And maybe she just wasn't ready to let go. You know, Grace Stanley recalls pushing her to leave Chris's house and that Harwick uh, had agreed with her. Amy finally called it quits in 2012. Oh, I was thinking that the timeline was a little different. So all these things in 2011 and getting that restraining order, they weren't dating yet. That happened before dating. Yeah. According to CBS's timeline, it was in April 2011, but it wouldn't make sense unless they were together for a year. It's like longer than a month. Or they could have kind of had an unofficial relationship. And that's entirely possible. I think so. I think it was sort of maybe one of those on and off things. Uh, Judging how Chris House reacts. So that doesn't surprise me if it was an on and off relationship, because that also kind of fits this general pattern that we've been kind of yeah. alluding back to over and over. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it does. But she said 2012, fully done. And the reason I think that you're right, it may be an off and on thing, is that a close friend of Chris House, Rudy Torres, said he did not handle the breakup well at all. He said, quote, he would start to get obsessive. He always wanted to know where she was at. He used to want me to be his go-between, which I didn't want to do. He'd always ask me to send her photos, send her links to sappy love songs, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. Torres said that one day Purse House exploded on him, saying, quote, you have to pick. It's either me or her. Torres chose Amy, and after that, Purse House cut him off. I'd be very interested to know if what his other past relationships were like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, was this his first serious relationship, and that's why he couldn't let it go? I don't know. Was he married and divorced? I'm not sure. I I know that he was like, I believe I said 45. Yeah, he you definitely said he was in his 40s. He was a handful of years older than. Yeah, her. but also like, yes. I have to say, Rudy Torres, I agree with you. I think that at that point, giving him an ultimatum, like you don't want to be involved in in his no his pursuit of her. Um. And I don't know what else you would do. You can't, you can't really just go to the authorities and say, "Hey, my my buddy here is going a little too nuts and and really right. falling for this girl, and he doesn't want to let her go." Like you can't, you can't just do that. And you, you, yeah. you would have to. You can't also just say like, "Hey, you really need to to see a therapist. You really stop, need to yeah, get over this." Like that, that has to be. House's choice at that point. It didn't say if Torres was friends with both Purse House and Amy, but it kind of, every article I read made it sound like he was friends with 
both of them. And that's why Purse House thought he could use him in this manner to, like, get in touch with her. That's kind of the, the sense I got from that quote. Yeah, I agree. Exactly, yeah. And then finally one day it was her or me. And he was like, y'all, this dude is wild and I'm out of here. Yeah. I don't want to walk away. I would hope that he may have said something to her of being like, this mm-hmm. is this is too much. Um, and maybe right. he did. It seems like she was aware of, of some of these mm-hmm. issues. So there's a very good possibility he did. But mm-hmm. I agree. I would, I would want to cut off that friendship as well. Yeah, because especially if her friends are noticing and documenting her domestic violence injuries... You're probably noticing them as well. Yeah. And you're also seeing the other side of it, of his reactions. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But determined to move on, Amy put Purse House in her rear view until four years after the breakup when someone broke into her home. Koshlin said, quote, she called me. She's like, I think he broke into my house and stole my photo albums and my computer. It had been wiped. She believed it was him. She couldn't prove it. She didn't have cameras. Someone stealing your photo albums, that would be my first thought as well. Someone who knows you. It's very specific, right? That's very specific. Your photo albums and then your computer has been wiped to, like, another place that you may have those photos. Yeah, I, like, you, you, taking something so specific and something that's so yeah. personal to you, it's not jewelry. It's not something that's worth monetary yeah. value. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it feels so personal. To find your home broken into and those being the only pieces missing, like, I probably would have come to the same conclusion as her. Mm -hmm. Grace Stanley added, quote, she felt as though maybe he was watching somehow. She felt like he could maybe have bugged her things. He's breaking into her house. Entirely possible. Yep. And we talked about in our past episode how easy it is to get these tracking devices onto mm-hmm. things. Yeah. You know? She also remained positive that Purse House was behind the insulting and derogatory online comments she'd been getting for years. Gareth also sent messages to her friends to try to sabotage her friendships. Yeah, I'm not sure if you'll get to this. If, if so, please cut this out. <laughs> um... But one thing I remember from the episode that I watched is her initial career goal, I don't think was intimacy and sex therapy, but she ended up turning to that because of all of these online comments that took her career off track. And this was a great alternative for her. It's been a long time since I watched that episode. But I, I, I think I remember that she wanted to go into like mental health therapy. But mm-hmm. um, I think some of these comments had to do with her being a Playboy model. And that mm-hmm. really impacted her career goals. And she had to change gears. And it turned into something great for her. But um, I think that impacted her 
with all those online comments. Could have been so. I didn't see that in my research. I saw that as happening like post. I thought that she was maybe interested in the area of intimacy. I She could have absolutely had that interest. And I could be wrong. I it's like I said, I think this was like the first or second episode of that show. Um, which came out a few years ago. Yeah, I didn't really connect her sex therapy to her Playboy or the online comments. Mostly because yeah, I I guess it would be quite damaging if they were on websites for doctors, you know. I, I could be wrong. I, I vaguely remember that from the show. That's like one of the main things that kind of stuck in my head. That she found a great career despite all of the comments that impacted her initial goals. Hmm. As word spread February 15th, 2020, all of Amy's friends were heartbroken. Friend Robert Koshlin said, quote, it's like the sun was ripped from the sky. Cleopatra Slough and another friend, Grace Stanley, gave tearful statements. Slough saying, I didn't believe it, through tears. Stanley was so bereft, all she said was, she's not there anymore. Koshlin detailed a call from the police who said, hey, can you come down to the Hollywood station? I can't even imagine, like, knowing she went through that as a close friend. Yeah, it's so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. And as Koshlin arrived at the station, he promptly told police and investigators everything he knew about Gareth Pursehouse. Amy had dated him in the past. He was a software engineer. Quote, wannabe comedian. End quote. I did not write that. I did not <laughs> write that, I swear. It sounds like I wrote it, but I was like, no. No, that is a quote. <laughs> so it definitely isn't quotations in your script. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he was also a photographer, but who cares what this guy did? Casually recalled, quote, They asked who I thought might have done this, and did she have any enemies? He said in reply right away, quote, This ex of hers, Gareth, if anyone, it would be this guy. Koshland also shared the crucial information that uh, Amy had told him that Purse House had assaulted her on more than one occasion. One thing as well with this is I'm I'm so glad that Amy was open with her friends about mm -hmm. all of these issues because that's also something that's very difficult to openly talk about, even with people who you're incredibly close with. Um, yes. So I'm really glad she felt comfortable doing that with her friends and so that mm -hmm. they could very quickly inform the authorities that yes. you need to take a look at this guy. It's this guy. Yeah. Like it, I've been talking to her. I know what she said. I know she told me personally, he did it. It's him. If something happens to me, she and said she that got to this the, guy, the, the paper trail of the, um, restraining orders like those are all mm -hmm. exactly what she needed to do she did everything she was supposed to do and that's part of the issue here why we're talking about it is it is she did it all right yeah she did exactly and he still murdered her in her own home minutes after she arrived yeah your home's supposed to be where your 
comfortable and safe. I mean, as her friends grieved and reflected and talked to authorities, one name continued to come up when police asked if someone would like to hurt her. Grace Stanley and Robert Koshlin said, quote, my friend is terrified of one person. To which Koshlin said, quote, it's Gareth. When asked if they thought, Amy thought, he was dangerous, Stanley replied, quote, she did. She knew what he was capable of. Yeah. And they, they had evidence of it. She, yeah. She was, she's born witness to all of this horror and trauma that he's brought into her life. And she knew he was capable of killing her. And she still wasn't protected. It makes me so sad. Yeah. And like there, there are so many different situations from how this could have gone as well. Um, like I, I have a friend who was married to a man who she felt was dangerous and she divorced him. She left him, but she went to mm-hmm. the extent of getting a police escort out of her house when she left it's so scary it's Mm -hmm. so scary and good for her yeah i was so proud of her in that moment (laughs) because i I didn't know the details until she told me that she she left him yeah and that is i mean so smart because like you said and like we've said it's the most dangerous time The news reached her former fiancé, Drew Carey, as well, who had introduced Amy and his relationship to the world on the Valentine's Day issue of The Price is Right in 2018, just two years before her death. As we know, Carey had nothing but loving words to share about Amy and her championing of women's rights. I just thought that was so sad that it was Valentine's Day and then two years later. Yeah. I will say, here we go. Just one day after Harwick's death, this calls back to having friends who all know and you're open with. Because just one day after Harwick's death, the police arrested Persas and he was charged with Amy's murder with the special circumstance of, quote, laying in wait. He was also charged with breaking and entering and home burglary. Had as many charges on there as you can. Exactly. So, uh, I know we've, this is sort of silly to say, but it's just Amy did not let this man into her home. Like, if she had seen him, she was talking about getting pepper spray. She she would not have let this guy into her home. No, absolutely not. Those extra charges are warranted. And she had no intentions of letting him anywhere near her, as both the legal system and the cops knew once there were multiple restraining orders fire- filed. Do you know if the the restraining orders were active at this time? I don't know. I have to imagine they were. I would assume, I would assume one is maybe she reinstated a restraining order after that incident at the conference. Mm. Mm-hmm. I just, we talked a lot about this already, but I just, it makes me so sad that she, 
was repeatedly telling the right people, the justice system, the judge, the police, that she felt this man should not even be allowed near her for fear of what he might do. And again, here we run into this system of stalking laws that is currently broken in our country. And we need to do more to protect those filing a restraining order to ensure their protection. Yeah, I just, I don't know what the answer is. That's the frustrating part, is you can file the restraining orders, you can do all of these exact things that she did, but what is it that's going to actually prevent him from getting near her? It, like, right. Is it, do they, do they need an ankle monitor? Like, I don't know. Like, that seems kind of extreme, but I that at the same time i don't know i don't i don't have an answer i was gonna say depending on severity of offense ankle monitor yeah like if there's like different like categories mm -hmm. of it like if you yeah like if you steal a hundred bucks it's yeah but if you steal a thousand bucks that's a federal crime <laughs> so right. i feel like there should be gradation there of course because i don't think that like everybody should have to walk around with an ankle monitor on because they're like yeah somebody said that i did some shit and i was blackout drunk and but um i do think there should be i think it's funny you mentioned ankle monitor because that i that was my only thought too i don't know how to fix it either but that's also, like, does that potentially go against his rights? Like, it, it's just, it's such a complicated, complicated idea. That's what I mean when I say, like, I don't, I don't want everybody to be walking around wearing ankle monitors, you know, like, because right. it's, it, you know, at what point do you encroach upon that? But again, that's why I feel like there should be like a gradation. Like what, what class felony did you commit against this person? Right. Like, like, like the same idea of like murder one, murder two, manslaughter. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I think it should just follow lines like that. Like what's gross is that Purse House was actually released and free to roam the streets after posting $2 million in bail. Wow. So Purse House or his family clearly had some money. Making yeah. the home burglary he was accused of against Amy that much more senseless. On April 16, 2020, he was again arrested after pleading not guilty to Harwick's murder. Purse House's trial commenced on August 29, 2023. So for Three years he walked as a free man. That's frustrating. I, but that's also how the bail yeah. system works. That's mm -hmm. he, he had a high bail and he was able to pay it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A year and a half after that arrest, September twenty twenty one, Purse appeared in LA Superior Court for a preliminary hearing on these charges that he has pled not guilty to. So this is his preliminary. Mm -hmm. Now I have my head on straight. <laughs> Needed my head on straight for a minute there. Rudy Torres, who once again was once Purse House's good friend, said, quote, you want to know what those last moments were like for her. And you just need to be there because someone has got to be in that room for her. Cameras were not allowed inside the hearing itself. 
where a judge would determine if there was enough evidence to try Persaus for the murder of Amy Harwick. Sounds to me like he, he had a friendship with her as well. Can I yeah, exactly. Before? Because he's in multiple courts said like someone should be there in that room for her. So I do think, yeah, that they probably had a friendship as well. And that says a lot that, it, especially if he was friends with Purse House before, that after the mm. breakup, he made a decision to stay friends with Amy and not him. It says a mm. lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. Deputy District Attorney Rhonda Saunders said that there was no such thing as a slam dunk case, which I agree with. However, Saunders was not involved in this case. She only reviewed the 48 hours court records. But even with those, and as prosecutors discussed Amy's autopsy, which documents apparent defensive wounds on her arms and hands, there was also a pattern of blood vessels around Amy's eyes called petechiae, which can be evidence of strangulation. Saunders said, quote, there not only were petechiae, but there were bruises on her neck, end quote. Yeah, that often goes hand in hand. Yeah, so all she had to do was look at the court records and the autopsy findings, and she was like, yeah, she wasn't even involved in this case. <laughs> like, she was like, yeah, it's not looking good. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, they do, they do go hand in hand. When you when you are strangled, one of the first things they look for is first blood vessels in your eyes. Yeah. So the case boiled down to was Gareth Persaus the intruder on the night of February fourteenth, twenty twenty. Prosecutors presented evidence of DNA recovered from the French door and the living room floor, which they said was a match to Persaus. Investigators said that the chance that the DNA belonged to anyone other than Pershaus was less than one in one septillion. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's him. That's the highest I've ever heard. Like, in all the cases we've researched, in all the true crime I've read, that is the highest one. Like, no, there's in one... If you had one septillion dudes stacked on top of each other, it would still be this guy. Right. Like, wow. And perhaps more disturbing, they had Purcell's DNA uh, underneath Amy's fingernails. So she certainly put up a fight. She did. Taurus says he's disturbed by the idea of Amy's last moments alive. The roughly six minutes after she sent her last text and before her roommate knocked on the neighbor's door for help. So Taurus was an innocent friend in this situation, and he is clearly haunted. I, I understand why. Mm -hmm. At the hearing, the defense questioned whether the DNA was collected and tested correctly, and they questioned whether Purse House was there at all. But a neighbor's home security video from the night of Valentine's Day played in court shows an intruder that Torres believes is Persaus. Again, remember, a close friend of Persaus's said, quote, he puts his hand over the camera so it doesn't see him, 
but you know somebody for that long, it's like seeing him from a distance. It looked like him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, you need somebody who's that close to him to confidently say that. And that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of what we were talking about during the Duck Rock Killer case and what we were, were saying that we would love to see because that Ooh. guy had a unique walk. We would love to see somebody come forward saying, I know that person. Mm -hmm. I've seen them from a distance. I know what their gait is like. And like, that's mm -hmm. exactly what he's saying here. Like, I've seen him from a distance before. And I saw the person in the video cover up the camera. Exactly. And yeah. The defense did their usual backflips to defend their client, Gareth Pursehouse, who had pleaded not guilty. And his defense attorneys argued that none of the evidence collected by the state proves murder. They say even if that intruder was Pursehouse, and they don't agree it was, he could have gone there just to talk to Amy, and she could have fallen off the balcony in an accident. To which I say, sure, the man with two granted restraining orders against this woman and a proven history of violence against her, whether just to talk. And she strangled herself and threw herself off the balcony after? Right. What was... Yeah. <laughs> Apparently that was uh, immaterial to them. Rudy Torres and Robin, Robert Koshland agree with both of us. The former saying, quote, that's ridiculous. He's tall and she's tiny. She's unmatched in any way you can quantify, end quote. Koshland was more direct saying, quote, he may have wanted to say some things to her, but I think he went there to kill her. Like he could have easily wanted to say things and she said, absolutely not. And right. escalated. Like it is possible that he showed up not wanting to actually kill her. But at the same time, it's entirely possible he showed up wanting to because he felt he no one else should ever be with her because it should be him. And if he can't be with her, then he might as well, which is an absolutely awful thought. Yeah, well, and you have the fact that he was in that apartment for almost four hours. Yeah. So that kind of shows that you were not there with the best intentions. You broke in. Right. And I'm assuming that camera footage coincided with the time that the neighbor heard what he classified as a, a plate breaking. Breaking. Break. Yeah. And then there's the syringe that police say they found on Amy's balcony. Lab tests later revealed that it contained nicotine, which can be a lethal poison. It is a poison, y'all. Mm -hmm. Robert Koshlin believes that that syringe could have only been there for one reason. Koshlin said, quote, I just really, I think, showed he had intent, murderous intent, because there's no benign reason to have a syringe of nicotine ever. Yeah, that's a whole nother level of premeditation. Like the being in mm -hmm. her home for four hours is one mm -hmm. level of it, and this is just a whole nother. Yeah, and although it's very rare, there have been murder cases involving lethal doses of nicotine. And luckily, there was an expert on hand, Dr. Neil Benowitz, who said 
If you take it orally by mouth or by skin, it takes much longer because absorption takes a while. But if you have it intravenously, then you can die within minutes. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that, but minutes. Yeah. And he's a leading expert on nicotine, and he wrote a report about the Harwick case, speaking to 48 Hours in 2014, about how someone could make a high-concentration solution of the drug. And he held up a vial saying this would be a concentrated nicotine solution that could kill somebody. Police say they later found a syringe in Persos's home similar to the one filled with the nicotine at Amos. Yep, so that's kind of their, their smoking gun at that point. Yeah. Prosecutors argued that the presence of that poison at Amy's home is evidence of Persos's murderous intentions. Rhonda Saunders said, quote, the prosecutor has to show that intent to harm her, to kill her. Why else would there be a syringe with that toxin in it? So do you know if he was able to administer that syringe or was it found still full? I don't believe so. I believe it was found full. Because she, she probably put up a fight and that's when it turned into strangulation. Yes, rather than the nicotine. And I assume it was full because they were able to test the substance and find out that it was nicotine. Well, I would imagine they could probably test it regardless, but I feel like that would be stated in her autopsy. I'm not, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure. I, the autopsy results didn't say anything about presence of nicotine that I saw, but I would assume that it, with the struggle that was described I imagine that it was like the nicotine plant got abandoned, like you said. Mm-hmm. And poor Robert Koshlin's trauma continued. At the hearing, Amy's friends testified about her fear of Purse House and the measures she had taken, including the home security system, buying pepper spray, and allowing Robert Koshlin to track her phone. After her death, Robert located Amy's email password and says he found what may be the most haunting evidence against Purse House written by Amy herself. In what would become a very important item in the case, Koshlin found a document. Amy used her email to document her frightening encounter with Purse House at the XBiz Awards show, the work event that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. She wrote, quote, he started screaming, you shouldn't be here. Why are you here? He was sobbing. He was distorting his face up and shaking violently. Forensic psychologist Chris Mohandi said, quote, This was terrifying to her, and she should have been terrified, because that's not normal. This email is a voice, you know, of what Amy Harwick was experiencing. In it, Amy also writes, quote, it terrifies me that he's been obsessed with me for nine years. He's malicious, highly intelligent, and focused on harming me. Yeah, like having it in her own words is a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. And and those three things together, like, oof. Right. That's, that's, I mean, a, a smoking gun. Again, 
And again, it's also really smart that it's in her email because even if you wipe a computer, mm-hmm. you can still access those emails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Assistant DA Rhonda Saunders said, quote, what that email shows is there is no way after writing that even to herself that she would have invited him over and that she would have had anything to do with him, that she was afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, as we've said before, he broke into her house <laughs> like he didn't she didn't invite him. There was no communication. He smashed a window and broke into her house. Right. Forensic psychologist Chris Mohandi thinks the state's case against Purse House, if true, reflects a deep obsession with Amy, first documented in those long-ago court records that was reignited after that chance encounter on the red carpet. He said, quote, there may have been a lull through these years, but at that awards event, it got the pursuit started all over again. So just like we've been saying. Yeah, it's kind of the, the trigger for the next event for him. Mm-hmm. Chris Mohadi believes that if the state's allegations are true, his alleged crime would fit the pattern of sexual pursuit. He also says it's likely that Amy was responding to Gareth with sympathy and not safety for herself as her first concern. However, The safest course of action for stalking victims, Mohandi says, is never to engage their stalker if they can help it. Well-meant human kindness can be twisted by stalkers' delusions and fuel their rage. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I'm a little bit familiar with Chris Mohandi. Um, I really Mm -hmm. like the way he analyzes things. And I think he Mm -hmm. kind of, I don't want to say like, difficult ideas but this is a very detailed analysis that he's putting into fairly simple terms Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think that that is really good because i'm sure that there are tons of victims who are like i just don't even know what to do what's rule number one and they google it and there is chris like don't engage like mm-hmm. that's good that's that's good i think we need more of that like more more of that more resources more experts on it more things like that and then maybe we can get closer to where we need to be to where mm-hmm. stuff like this doesn't happen yeah and i will say if you're kind of interested in this whole idea and how he breaks things down there is a good show on um ID called Breaking Homicide and he I think he's only in season one. Um mm-hmm. but it's a very interesting show. It's a um, private investigator and him going and trying to help families of these unsolved cases. Um that's that's the whole show. It's really interesting. That's really cool. I, I recommend wow. it. I really enjoyed the show. And it's um it's Chris Mahandi and Derek Lavasser who I we've talked about him before. Um, he's part of the Crime Weekly podcast. So I, I they're a great pair. I, I recommend the show. I really enjoyed it. Um, but that's how I know of Chris Mahadi and how he breaks things down. Mm-hmm. Amy's parents shared a statement, quote, As we approached the two-year anniversary of Amy's death, we remain thankful for the unwavering support of our extended family and friends. 
Many of Amy's close friends communicate with us regularly, attend court hearings, and update us on those proceedings. We are very grateful. Our hope is that 2022 will bring justice for Amy and focus on her life, her work, and her accomplishments. They would be let down by 2022, but 2023 was right on First House's heels. I don't have much about his 2023 hearing. I have in their closing statements, Deputy District Attorney Victor Avila brought forward, quote, He didn't go there to talk. He's on a mission. He's angry. He feels rejected. End quote. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> on September 28, 2023, Gareth Pursehouse was convicted of first-degree murder for throwing the 38-year-old off her balcony. He was summarily sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, though he was first a death penalty candidate. Oh, okay. So I, I don't disagree with any of that. Right, he probably pled out. Yeah, probably. Get them to take that death penalty off the table. Or, who knows, maybe the judge was just feeling merciful and elwopped him. I don't know. Yeah, you, you never really quite know in these situations unless it's like so clearly stated. Yeah, you're not really sure. Yeah, it's not really... It's judge to judge. But that rabbit hole dive is the story of Amy Harwick. I know I might have been a bit long-winded on this one, but I hope y'all can see that there were some interesting things here and learn a little bit more about the human Amy was. I hope Garrett spends the rest of his life in jail with the other inmates laughing at his name. (laughs) Sam... Any final thoughts? I, I think I spoke most of my thoughts throughout this episode because it's just, it makes me angry that mm-hmm. all of this happened. I know. It didn't have to. It, well, what's so frustrating about it all is she did everything right. Like, there, there's not necessarily a right answer, but she really did everything that she could to let people know and to protect herself Mm -hmm. and this still happened Mm -hmm. just it makes me sad yeah i'm so incredibly sad it's like i say about a lot of the victims on the show that we cover we are worse off for not having the good they would have done Mm -hmm. yeah and what i hope comes out of cases like this is education in, in mm. how to handle situations like this. Yeah. Also, how to change things in the future so that when things like this do happen, there's more protection than what we currently have. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have resources? Oh, I'm going to put them in our show notes. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So please, please check them out on there so you can hopefully just click right in or uh, see it when you... you need to dial in numbers or anything yeah click right into the show notes for the resources and then we will also do a separate post on our instagram that has them on there so y'all can either check it out on the show notes or you can go to our instagram account which sam will give you here in just a minute and see the resources yeah and i want to reiterate kind of what i I said earlier and that even if it's just a phone call that you have with one of these resources and that's all that it is, please feel comfortable to make that call. Yeah. Because no harm will come from 
just a phone call. No, absolutely no harm will come from just sharing your truth with someone and hearing reinforcement, you know? Yeah, exactly. Thank you all for listening to Have You Heard About This Case. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Have You Heard About This Case Pod, on TikTok at HYHATC, or you can email us at Have You Heard About This Case at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.